Welcome to the Renaissance Podcast. Every week, we get a chance to share the love of Jesus through music, art, and biblical teaching, and we're so glad that you're here to be a part of it. Let's get started. Well, welcome to Renaissance. My name is Jeff. I'm one of the leaders here at the church, and um, I hope you brought your Bible with you. We're going to spend some time in our New Testaments. And let me just say this about our Bibles real quick. Uh, The Bible is broke up into two different pieces. If you're new to the Bible world, if you will, we have an Old Testament part, which is the big part towards the front, and then there's a New Testament part. And we're going to spend our time in the New Testament part, specifically looking at the biographies of Jesus. We call these the Gospels, right? This is Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You might know that. So if you have a Bible, you can turn in there. We're going to look around at a couple different passages with one singular goal. And I'll share that with you now. Um, we are in the middle of a, um, a series that we're calling Jesus Training, right? You can see the, the words up on the screen there. And the reason we're using that language is because when we look to the word disciple, so when we call ourselves disciples of Jesus, that word disciple could also be translated as apprentice, that we're here to learn from Jesus all of the things that he said, all of the things that he did, and try to apply those things to our lives. And so rather than just call myself a Christian as if it's just some sort of moniker or label that I uh, place on my life, um, I want to actually attach myself to Jesus and all the things that he did for for two reasons. And here, here they are. The first is this. Um, and I'm trying not to oversell this, but I am desperate that the world would know what Jesus really looks like today. That all too often, the, the world around us gets a picture of Jesus that is not at all true to what pic- the picture of Jesus should look like. It's not at all who Jesus is. And so if we are to look like Jesus, then we need to uh, know the things that he did, uh, know the things that he said, so that when we find ourselves in life's circumstances like Jesus did, we will respond like he did in those situations. Now, how many people want to admit that you probably didn't uh, respond like Jesus at, at some point in the last week or so? right? There's three of us in a room, right? Honest people, Lord, see us, look at us, right? No, maybe even on the way in today, you didn't respond in a way that Jesus would have responded. Last night, just so you know, um, I had an opportunity to respond like Jesus and failed. And it involved some moron on the highway. I'm just saying. (laughs) And he should thank Jesus that my 16-year-old daughter was in the car with me because she tempered my true response which I say jokingly and yet painfully as well. I mean, why did it have to be my 16-year-old daughter to temper my response when the Holy Spirit was in the car with me as well? So we're reading the Gospels, trying to learn about Jesus' life, to look like him, to sound like him, to know what he said, know what he did. And then secondly, we're using a quote from an American philosopher named Dallas Willard. Has anyone heard of Dallas Willard? If you haven't read any of Dallas Willard's stuff, you should. It's incredibly good. He's since passed on, but he's spent his life's work teaching, writing about, and educating Christians about this thing we call spiritual transformation. If we're to be people who believe that... um, 
if we're to be people who believe what the Bible says about us, let me say that, that if we have faith in Jesus, that we are new creations, then we should learn to live a new life. Would you agree with that? And Dallas Willard spent much of his life speaking about this transformation that takes place. In fact, we've been anchoring this series on his quote that says this, authentic transformation really is possible if we are willing to arrange our lives around those practices that Jesus engaged in to receive life and power from the Father. So what we're doing, just so you know, is we're looking at the life of Jesus, trying to find the spiritual practices or the spiritual habits that he had and apply those to our lives because Jesus found life and power in them and we want them as well. Now, what I'm not saying is this, is that we need to discipline ourselves more. I'm not saying we need to have better habits of getting up early and disciplining and all that stuff so that we can change our lives, so that we can have a, a blessed life, so that we can have a more prosperous business, so we can have a better relationship with our whatevers. I'm not saying that. We don't need habits to change our lives. Hear me. What we need are habits, spiritual disciplines and practices that lead us to Jesus, where the Spirit will change us and transform us. Do you see the difference? Because all of this is how America was built, right? Pull us up by our bootstraps, so to speak. And that's not at all what we're trying to do. And here's why. You've done that before. You've tried all the disciplines, all the work, all the extra things, and it hasn't worked. So what we want to do is try to model our lives after Christ, who found life and power where God was, who found life and power where the Spirit led him. And that's what we want to do. And when we go to that place, then our lives are transformed. Woo, does that sound great? it sounds great to me. So that's what we're doing. Um, so would you pray with me? I'm just going to ask God to come and help us to understand those things. And I apologize if I'm yelling. It's the third service and I have to, anyways. Lord, we thank you for our time together. I say that every week and I mean it, that our life is a gift from you. And I'm thankful that we can use our time to to sit before the teachings of Scripture, to look to the model of your Son, Jesus, who is not only our Lord and Savior, but also our great teacher, the one we apprentice after. And Holy Spirit, we pray that you come and be a part of our meeting today. And the Holy Spirit would speak to us in a way that we would understand, and it would be helpful to us. And we pray these things knowing you're listening to them, Lord, because of Jesus. And we thank you in his great name. Amen. 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 So the first passage I want to point to um, as we look to sort of the spiritual disciplines or the habits of Jesus' life is in Matthew chapter 4. And you can find your way to Matthew chapter 4. And I'll set up what's kind of happening in this chapter before I read the passage here. Uh, Jesus has just been baptized in the Jordan River is basically what we're walking into. So Jesus makes his way out into the desert. There's a guy named John the, the Baptist or John the Baptizer out there, and he baptizes Jesus in the Jordan, brings him up out of the Jordan. And the Bible says this about him. It says that the, the heavens opened, the Spirit of God descended like a dove and rested upon Jesus, whatever that looks like, right? And a voice from heaven cried out saying this, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. This is God saying to the world and to us, this is my Son, listen to him. Um, 
this is not the best uh, metaphor maybe, but this is the ribbon cutting ceremony of Jesus' ministry, basically. <laughs> He's getting ready to start his ministry. This is the beginning. We don't know much about Jesus' life before this. A little bit about how he was born, a little bit when he was a young boy, but then here when he's baptized, all of a sudden his ministry explodes. And this is the beginning of that. And right after this event happens, we pick up here in verse one of chapter four. It says, then Jesus was led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. That's an understatement, <laughs> right? And then the devil or the tempter came to Jesus. Now, if you know the story arc of the Bible, this sort of ensuing battle that's about to take place between Jesus and the devil is expected. See, if you know the Bible, way back in Genesis chapter 3, when Adam and Eve, you remember them, our great, 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 great something parents, right, had also had an encounter with the devil or the tempter, and he tempted them to disobey God to sin. And when sin came into the world, God came and pronounced judgment. He pronounced judgment on the earth. He pronounced judgment on Adam and Eve. And he also pronounced judgment on the devil. He simply said this, I'll deal with you later, is what he says. So when we see that Jesus is entering into ministry, being led by the spirit into the wilderness, and the devil comes to him, we're like, finally, let's get this on, right? Let's do this. But this is where the story gets really weird to me. I wonder why the Spirit of God leads him into the wilderness. If, if I were the Dana White in the sky, and I'm putting together this fight, you know what I mean? I place the octagon in the center of town, and I want everyone to witness what is taking place. But that's not what happens. In fact, this, this uh, place, this wilderness, is, is the... Um, is the thing that I want to point to. The Greek word that we translate as wilderness here in the English um, is used is eremos, and it's used 48 different times in the New Testament alone. And most times it's uh, translated wilderness. You might have heard desert, right? The Spirit of God led Jesus into the desert to be tempted. It's, it's wilderness or desert. It's a desolate place. It's a place that's uninhabited. It's, hear me, it's a solitary place. It's a place where Jesus was alone with God. And after 40 days and 40 nights of not eating, the devil shows up. Now, this part of the story I expect, right? Because isn't that just like the devil to come and try to tempt somebody after they've been up for 40 days and 40 nights, after they're hungry, after they're overworked or overstressed? Isn't that how we see the devil come after us in our lives? Yes. But the thing that's striking here is that this, ta this is taking place in the wilderness because God desires it to take place in the wilderness. I think the Spirit would want us to know that there's actually something found in the solitary place that we can't find anywhere else. See, for you and maybe for me, uh, many times I've always thought of the place of, uh, of quiet, the place of solitary or solitude to be a place of weakness, but I think we're learning that this place is actually a place of great power. If you know the story, the devil comes to Jesus. And I, I tell you, just spoiler alert, Jesus don't, doesn't even break a sweat as he deals with the devil. You can read this later after lunch or something. Keep reading Matthew chapter 4. Je Jesus just says a couple things to the devil, and he goes, bye-bye. What if you and I were to understand what the Spirit would say, that he wants us oftentimes to go to a place uh, of solitude, 
a place of quiet so that we can have that kind of power to push back against the tempter in our own lives. What? Now that's good, isn't it? We flip the page, we go into Mark's gospel, keep going a couple pages into Mark's gospel. And we see in Mark chapter one, um, what appears to be almost like the first day of Jesus' ministry. So let's recap a little bit. We see him being baptized into the Jordan. He comes up, goes into the desert for 40 days, hungry. He defeats the devil, yay, right? And then he comes into Capernaum and the whole part of chapter one of Mark's gospel here is just sort of a, a play out of Jesus' first day on the job. He goes by the, the, the lake there and he grabs a couple of disciples, Simon and Andrew and James and John. He grabs them, brings them along. They make their way to the synagogue in Capernaum and he starts teaching in there. And while he's in there teaching, people are amazed at his words. And someone decides it's a good idea to bring a demon-possessed man in front of Jesus. And Jesus is like, be gone, devil. And the guy gets healed. It's a crazy thing that's happening. At some point, Simon's like, you know, my mother-in-law is sick. This will give me brownie points. Can you come to my house and heal my mother-in-law? He, he goes to Simon's mother-in-law house. He heals her. At the end of his day, you could imagine how exhausted he must have been. Again, 40 days, 40 nights in the desert, defeats the devil, comes into town, preach, teach, ministry, heal, on and on it goes. He makes his way to bed. And here's where Mark's gospel picks up in chapter 1, verse 35. And rising very early in the morning, Mark says, while it was still dark, Jesus departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. That word desolate is that word eremos. It's the same word for wilderness. Listen, he went to a solitary place, and he prayed. Now, this is striking because this is not how I probably would have lived my day if I were Jesus. Having done 40 days and 40 nights, defeat the devil, all the ministry, the mother-in-law, the everything. And if I went to bed, I'm just not setting my alarm the next day. <laughs> I'm finna sleep in is all I'm saying, right? And that's how I would have played it out. I would have slept in, maybe done a little light Devo time in the morning, or maybe a cup of Earl Grey decaf, something like this, get in a light run, and then maybe meet the disciples for a late brunch is what I'm thinking. <laughs> These are jokes, people. But not, <laughs> that's all I got. <laughs> But not Jesus, not Jesus. After all of that work and the exhaustion he certainly felt, he knew there's a life source necessary to continue. And he finds himself into the place of solitude, into the place of quiet, into the place where God was. And from there, we continue on in the story. We keep reading Matthew, or sorry, Mark chapter 6. Again, Jesus makes his way out into a desolate place, but this story has a little different tell. Jesus, not only is he teaching his disciples, not only is he teaching his apprentices on things they should say and do, he then encourages them to go do it right? So this is that part of the Bible, if you know the story, where Jesus grabs all 12 of his disciples and he sends them out two by two, right? He sends six different missionary teams out into the world and he gives them authority over all unclean spirits. He gives them the power to cast out devils. He gives them the power to heal people. And then he tells them a few things. And when you go in Mark chapter six, don't take any money with you. Weird whatever. Don't take any bread or food with you. Even more strange. He allows them to take an extra jacket, whatever that's for. I don't know. And he says, and like, 
you just stay with people that accept you. And if people don't accept you, just shake the dust off your feet and move on. So the disciples go out and do this and they do profound, miraculous works. They do cast out devils. They do heal people. And while they're doing it, they're too experiencing the things that Jesus experienced. May I remind you, he told them not to bring food. So they were hungry. And after working all day, they were certainly tired. And when they make their way finally back to where Jesus is in Mark chapter six, we pick up the, uh, the story here in verse 31. And so Jesus does, then says to them, why don't you come away by yourselves with me to a desolate place and rest for a while? For there were coming and going, wait, for many were coming and going, and they had no leisure or no rest even to eat. So Mark's making this point clear. They haven't even been able to stop and eat. They've been working so hard. Now, how many of us would agree that's your day some weeks, right? Where you just, you look up, it's 3.30 and you go, oh my gosh, I missed lunch. Anyone? Like you just work so hard, you're just getting stuff done and you're like, no wonder I'm so cranky or no wonder I'm so tired. My wife says to me, no wonder you need to eat a salad or something, right? You need to eat. Well, this is exactly what the, the disciples of Jesus are experiencing. And Jesus comes to them and says, why don't you get away with me for a little bit? I know you're tired. Side story, if you could let me just jump into this. I didn't really rehearse this, but this is sort of fun. This is in the middle of, of Jesus using the disciples to feed the, the multitudes or the 5,000. So picture this. The disciples get back from working all day, casting out devils, which is awesome, just so you know, and healing people, which is even more awesome. And then Jesus comes and says, while they're starving, now go feed a bunch of people. <laughs> Are you kidding me? I'd be like passing things out and eating it at the same time. <laughs> and then after all of that is done, he says, now let's go away together. Jesus is saying, I know you're tired. I know you're hungry, but what you don't need is another beer. You don't need a glass of wine or a double shot of Jameson on the rocks, whatever your thing is. You actually don't need a night to just veg on the couch. If I could just sit on a couch for a night and just watch TV, wouldn't that be great? That is in fact not what you need. You don't even need a night with no carpool or kids activities or any of that stuff. Praise Jesus, hallelujah. That's the stuff I'm talking about. No, what we need is to get away with Jesus. Do you hear this? That even when our lives are running us ragged, when we're tired and even hungry, the things that we think we need that will bring a little peace to us, a little rest. I just want to sit down, eat some wings, and have a beer, right? That's not what you need. You still need to go find a place with Jesus. That's what he would say to us. Now, the ultimate truth in all of this is you and I know this to be true. We, we look for things to comfort us when we're stressed. We look for the salve of our souls when we feel thin and a little tender. We look, when we're overworked, we're looking for something to bring comfort to us. And we go after all kinds of things. And then we land where Jesus is. We'll try this first. And if that doesn't work, we'll do this. And if that doesn't work, we'll try carbs. Or do you start with carbs? I just get them in a lot. Is it carbs first? And then if that doesn't work, then alcohol. And then if that doesn't work, then sex. And then whatever. What, where's all the things that we go to to try to find some rest and comfort just to let it go? Just, you know, have some fun for once, right? 
And Jesus would be saying to us, those things, they will not comfort you the way that I can. They won't bring life and power to you the way that I can. And we know this because we've tried all of those things. We, we find our way to Jesus, but always after we've done five or six of these things first. Jesus would say, let's do it first. It's exactly what he says to the disciples. I know you're tired. I know we just did a bunch of ministry. I know you're hungry. Let's go away to a desolate place together. Let's go away to a solitary place together. Let's get away from the crowds. Let's go to a quiet place together. Now, this is how the story plays out. The disciples and Jesus get in a boat, and they're going to cross this lake to go to that uninhabited, quiet place. And as they're going over there, the crowds see what's happening. And they start, burr, burr, burr. they start murmuring. They say, this is not okay. And they start running ahead of them. This is what the Bible says. And they grabbed more people with them. They ran ahead of Jesus. And so by the time that they landed over there, it was no longer a solitary, quiet, desolate place. It looked like, oh, I don't know, the Decatur celebration or something. Just a bunch of people packed in one corner. And the disciples are hanging on. But Jesus said, we're going to go to be alone with him. So we're fine. These crowds, Jesus will take care of it. And you know what Jesus does? The Bible tells us that Jesus knew many of them. He had great compassion on them. And he saw them as sheep without a shepherd. And so he stopped everything and began to shepherd them. He began to teach them, to heal them, to minister to them. And the disciples at this point, they have to be losing their minds. <laughs> I thought we were going to get away for some quiet I'm saying all that to say this. That's what it's going to look like in your life too. If you're going to try to apply this spiritual practice of solitude and quiet and meditation, you too are going to find interruptions all the time. There's always going to be a roommate who wants to talk for two hours after you're already spent, right? There's always going to be a child or a family member that has to go to the emergency room. There's always going to be something from work or somewhere that's going to come and try to take your attention from you. There will be interruptions. This was an interruption to that. But as the story continues, Jesus ministers to all of them until night comes. And then as night comes, he sends the crowds away. He sends the disciples away. He says, now you go to a desolate place. And then in 46, verse 46 of chapter 6, it says, and then Jesus went up on the side of a mountain and he prayed. If you're, if you're Jesus and you're overworked and you're doing all this stuff, the last thing I would go do is pray. I'd go to bed again. But Jesus seems to understand something. There are some things more important to us than even our our need for sleep sometimes. Any fans of sleep in a room? Like legit fans. Like if it was a sport, you'd meddle in it. High five. Yes, I'm a napper napper. I love napping. I nap at trains. I have no problem doing that. I wait for the guy to behind me to honk and I'm like, oh, it's time to go. Is that you? That's me. I nap all the time. My dad's a professional napper. I once called my dad in the morning. It's, hey, Pops, what's going on? He's, oh, just waking up from a nap. I said, Dad, it's 9 a.m. <laughs> like, he's a pro, like my hero, honestly. I love naps. I love sleeping. I love all of that, you know. And, and Jesus even says, there are sometimes you have to give up that thing. And why would you do that? So that you might have the life and the power to be authentically transformed. 
somebody once said, and I don't remember who it was, they said, of all the holy places that you might ever visit in your life, the most holy place will be your kitchen table at 4 a.m. Before the house wakes up, before the kids start complaining about the lunch that you packed for them, before any of this other stuff, before the dog needs to go out, you know what I'm saying? At 4 a.m., when it's still dark, if you and I were to, to rise and spend just a little quiet time with the Lord, if we would apply some of the practices of Jesus' life into our lives, we will see this authentic transformation. The Spirit does the work. We just apply ourselves to the places where the Spirit is. We just go to the place where, where God is. I have uh, one more story with you. Luke chapter 5. Luke's gospel is an incredible gospel or biography of Jesus' life. You can chart Jesus' life on two primary axes in this gospel. You see the, the fandom, not the fandom, that's the wrong word, but the fame, rather, of Jesus increased. Jesus is getting more and more popular, and the more and more popular he becomes, more and more people gather around him. The crowds increase, and as, as Jesus' life goes like this, his ministry starts to ramp up, and more and more people are coming to him. More and more people need healed. More and more people need things from him. We see the increase in his pulling away to go to a solitary place go up as well. So as, as the demand in Jesus' life increases, we see him continually pull away from everyone and go to that quiet place, which is so strange because for us, we do the exact opposite. When our lives get crazy hectic, when our lives get, um, when we feel stressed and overworked and, and all of those types of things, the, the first thing that we cut out is that Devo time in the morning. <laughs> Ouch. I mean, is it true? The first thing to go is maybe some, you know, worship music on the way to work. It's like, I got I to gotta go to work and be amped up. So you play something else. I don't, I'm, maybe the first thing to go is, is church for some of you. I know church attendance. Hear me, hear me, hear me, hear me. Church attendance cannot help you. It can't. I love the fact that most of you come most every week, right? But if, you, if you're hoping that that's transforming you, it's not. <laughs> But here at church, we teach about Jesus and the Holy Spirit, and it's here that you're going to at least encounter God for a moment. But sometimes when we're so worked, overworked and stressed out, church is the first thing to go from our week. Well, I got chores to do. I'm behind on my uh, cutting the grass or whatever it is, right? Laundry. Oh, my gosh. We actually stay home from church to do laundry? What is wrong with us? <laughs> and Jesus would say, no, that's not what we do. Look here in verse... 15 of chapter 5. But now even more, the report about Jesus went abroad and great crowds began to gather around him. And they wanted to be healed of all of their infirmities. But verse 16, it says, but he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. He would constantly pull himself away from all the crowds. Why? Because he found life and power in the, in the solitude, in the quiet. I didn't write this quote down, but in my studies this week, I, I ran across a quote from the old French mathematician, um, Blaise Pascal, if anyone's heard of Blaise Pascal. He's a philosopher as well. Um, but he said this. He said, um, in his, I'm butchering it here, so forgive me, but he says, he has come to understand 
that the, the frailty or the failings of humanity or of mankind is found in one simple truth. Okay, so all the downfall of humanity, according to him, is this, is that they cannot, man cannot stay in his room by himself. That he can't stay in a quiet room long enough to, be, to hear from God. That he can't stay in that quiet place of solitude long enough. He has to busy himself with noise and distraction. Would you agree with this? You might not know what's causing the issues in your life. I might just suggest to you that Blaise Pascal is probably right. That we're so busy trying to just cover up the din of noise with noise, right? The, the quietness with noise, so that we don't have to actually deal with the stuff that God wants to deal with in us. Uh, about a year and a half ago, I started running. I think I've shared this before. I don't mean to make it about me, and I'm a runner, but if you would applaud, that'd be great right now. <laughs> Well done, Jess. Yes, thank you. No, no. No, I started running, and I used to run with headphones, and I would always play some heavy music or something just to kind of get my cadence going. And I ran into my neighbor who's a legit runner, like does the marathons and stuff, and he told me that he doesn't run with headphones. And I said, well, you're a moron. Why would you not run with headphones? And he had his reasons, and I won't tell you what they were because it doesn't matter, but it made me think, why don't I try running without headphones? Well, here's what happens at first. I... Um, I get a little anxious when I'm running because I hear my, my labored breathing and I'm like, is this what a heart attack feels like and sounds like? <laughs> like, I don't know what's happening exactly, but I'm breathing awful hard for just getting out of the driveway. I'm just saying, <laughs> this is, is, this what it, is this what I sound like without my headphones? I don't want any part of that. True story. Um, but I, you get a mile in. And I'm, I'm telling you, God shows up, man. For me, like, I'll go for a run, or, or maybe it's a long walk with my dog to take him out, you know, his thing. But I just go alone. I don't take my headphones. I don't take my, my phone or nothing. And I get out there, and, dude, God shows up. True story, many, many months ago, I don't even remember when or what or whatever, but I was struggling with a sermon. I was writing. I was doing this now. I've been laboring into it all week. This is a Saturday afternoon, and I am stuck on one piece, a crucial part for tomorrow. And I'm stressing. And I said, I'm just going to go for a run. I go for a run. And I'm telling you, I'm not out there asking God for help. I'm not doing anything. I'm just running, right? God shows up in, in, in this profound way. I finished my run, and I knew exactly what the missing piece was for my sermon. Hear me. I didn't ask him what it was. I didn't say, Lord, please help me, please. I, didn't. I just went for a run and got into a quiet place with the Lord. And through some way of life and power, it was transferred to me. I don't... I don't have words, but just know this. At the end of that, it worked for me. I had the thing that I needed most desperately, and God just gave it to me. I might suggest that you and I be people who, who, who add the practice, the spiritual practice of solitude into our days where we get away for five or 10 or 20 minutes, whatever we can afford to get away with, and hear me, and leave your phone in your car. But what if you, some, what if someone needs to get a hold of you? Trust me, they'll find you. It's the 21st century. We have satellites that can do that. <laughs> I promise. Don't take music with you. Wait for it. Don't take your Bible with you. Don't take a book. Just get away. Get in the quiet. Get to the place where God is. And, and just 
be with him. Just consider, contemplate, meditate, think, take a nap. Yay. Go be with him in that place. So a couple of weeks ago when we started this series, my friend Todd, right? Todd spoke the first two weeks. And, and in the first week, we learned that Jesus, as a part of his lifestyle, he was constantly going around encouraging people, right? I'm proud of you. Well done. Well done. All that. And so Todd asked us, won't you spend the next week or so going around trying to encourage people? Try to model your life like Jesus and be like him. I'm proud of you. Good job. Nice hair, right? All this stuff. And then the next week, Todd talked about how Jesus was a, a man who, who showed gratitude always. He was always thanking God for things. Thank you, God, for this. Thank you for this. And, he, and so Todd asked us, why don't we try to spend the next week or so spending time thanking God and thanking others for the things that they do? And we look more and more like Jesus. The world gets to see a truer picture of Jesus, and yay, 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 right? But then this week comes, and it's all about solitude. And I want to stand before you and say, guys, I need you to just carve out a little bit of time. I need you to make this thing happen. But I can't convince you. I can't make you do it. I don't even want to guilt you into it. I don't want you to like, like, I want you to work towards it, but I can't, we can't have a contest about it. I'm not even going to come back next week and ask you how you did. I can't do that. I just want you to let the Spirit lead you. Just like he did in Matthew chapter four, when Jesus started his ministry, the spirit led him into the solitary place first. He filled him with power and life. And then when the devil came, he defeated him. And from that point forward, Jesus' ministry exploded. If you're feeling weak, if your emotions are afraid, if you, don't, if you feel thin and fragile, like at any moment, things could break for you and you'd find yourself um, hospitalized, Go to the quiet place. If you don't have answers for the things that are wrong, go to the quiet place and seek God there. I'll close with this last quote. John Tyson, pastor in New York City, said this, how we live reveals what we truly believe. Everything else is just talk, he says. How we live reveals what we truly believe. Hear me. If we believe that we are new creations through faith in Christ and, and our lives are to be transformed and changed, then we should look that way. And we should live our life towards that end. Everything else is just talk. Everything else is bragging and boasting and sorrow of failure and all of that. Everything else is nonsense. So I'm going to pray with us. Would you bow your heads with me? Lord, thank you for our time together again. Thank you for the, the picture of Jesus, the greatest one who's ever lived, the perfect man, right? Come to save us. Even Jesus in his perfect living knew this truth that he needed to get away with you often. And who are we, God, to think we don't need to? <laughs> God, help us to, to be changed and transformed. Help us to work those spiritual practices or disciplines or habits into our lives that lead us to the place where God is. We want no, we don't want to boast in any of this, Lord. All we want is you. 
And so help us, God. We thank you that your spirit is available to us, that your spirit does speak to us and lead us just like he did with Jesus. And God, we're even thankful that you listen to us when we pray. Because of what Jesus has done, we are now sons and daughters. We sang that earlier, that we are your children and you listen to us. You are a good father to us. So God, we pray that you would lead us into this, this place where life and power come. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Renaissance Podcast. I hope that God has spoken to you through this message and that you're encouraged to continue pursuing him. And I want to encourage you to take the next step in your relationship with God, which might be getting involved with a group of other believers. If you'd like to be a part of what's going on here at Renaissance, then please connect with us on social media or online at renaissancedecatur.org.